My name is Terry O'Reilly. Boston, Massachusetts. It's late afternoon, Wednesday, January 31st, 2007. Heading home, you'd notice that you're not getting fa with your ca. Now in Boston, that's pa. But there's something extraordinary about this day. Two arrests in a publicity campaign that panicked Boston. Today, Beantown is all about sirens, flashing red lights, and helicopters. A series of electronic signs have caused a terrorism scare. The smallish sign showed a light bright image of two characters from a network cartoon offering the finger. They also included a digital countdown clock. It was part of a promotion for a cartoon and spin-off movie, an act of guerrilla marketing. Using unconventional, often surprising, often low-budget tactics to communicate a brand. Trouble was, these signs didn't mention the sponsor by name and were installed without city permits. Though they'd been up for several days in several cities, Boston's finest weren't taking any chances, going so far as to detonate one of the signs. We're part of a campaign uh, to advertise uh, a new TV show. Massachusetts Attorney General Martha Coakley wasn't amused. Uh, the cause for investigation. And Five million residents of Greater Boston wanted answers. Tonight, state police working with Boston police have arrested at 8.15 this evening. Within hours, two arrests were made. But it was soon revealed that there were bigger powers behind the stunt much bigger. This investigation is ongoing as to whether other individuals and certainly other entities, including uh, the Turner Broadcasting Company... Yep. The stunt was engineered by people at Turner Broadcasting, as in Time Warner, an outfit worth upwards of $60 billion, which begs a question. Why is a Fortune 50 company engaging in a low-budget guerrilla marketing campaign? when it could easily spend a bundle on mainstream broadcast, print, and outdoor ads. And, since you ask, why are so many of today's biggest players, from software to soft drinks to athletic shoes, turning to guerrilla marketing tactics? Hike with me, and we'll look for answers deep in the jungle of 21st century marketing. You'll be surprised how many big names you encounter as you seek out the gorillas in our midst in the age of persuasion. Read my lips. I've fallen and I can't get up. Don't be a square. The only thing we have to fear is Quaker Pop Wheat, the breakfast cereal shot from gun. And now. Terry O'Reilly and the Age of Persuasion. All oh, the humanity. Chops, dices, minces. <laughs> it's that simple. Hours after a collection of tiny electric signs had paralyzed downtown Boston, relief evolved into anger. Once people knew what and why, they wanted to know who. Specifically, who to blame for this guerrilla marketing stunt gone wrong? It wasn't about wholesale retribution. They just wanted someone they could strip to the skivvies, slather in bacon grease, 
and forced to sing a couple of show tunes from the roof of the state house. Whether or not it's from the 20s or from the... It's definitely not from the 60s, I don't think. What they got were two performance artists hired to place the signs throughout downtown Boston. The Brassett Turner, whose cartoon the signs were supposed to promote, held their breath. These young men, facing reporters, could at least help smooth the waters with a little contrition and a double dollop of humility. What they offered instead was this. Altogether, I want to redirect this onto the topic of haircuts in the 70s because I want to educate myself about it. A, a freeform dialogue on haircuts of the 70s. A cranky press corps wondered aloud if the two men were taking their charges seriously. We're taking this very seriously. Yeah, please don't interrupt. Andy Warhol said everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. These two guys used every second of it staking a claim in the public's doghouse. That's not a hair question, I'm sorry. What was it like to spend last night in jail? I, that's also not a hair question. Memo from Turner Broadcasting to the two accused? Stop helping. Turner Brass promptly slipped the city of Boston $2 million for its troubles. And Cartoon Network VP James Samples was shown the door. But first, guerrilla marketing. How does Boston compare to other marketing stunts? And after 9-11, is it over the line? Our the phrase guerrilla marketing, once a trade term, was now part of the popular language. It derives from the Spanish term guerrilla a word meaning, literally, little war. The key to guerrilla marketing is surprise, generated, very often, at a fraction of the cost of a typical campaign. For instance, there was the day outside New York's Grand Central Terminal that passers-by encountered young men and women flashing their underwear. On each tush was emblazoned the words, booty call. It was a stunt promoting a health and fitness club. Hearkening to another guerrilla marketing axiom, put your message where the audience is looking, which often means places conventional media cannot go. During September and October of 2006, CBS television used eggs to promote its fall schedule. A company called Egg Fusion imprinted the CBS logo and a pitch for its fall shows on 35 million fresh eggs. Puns were inevitable. CSI. Crack the case on CBS. Hard-boiled drama with Shark. Scramble to win The Amazing Race. What's surprising about the guerrilla marketing of today is how closely it resembles conventional tactics of the past, including that mainstay of early marketing the publicity stunt. On September 16, 1896, the town of Crush became the second largest city in Texas, which wasn't bad considering it didn't exist the day before and would be abandoned in just a few hours. Crush was a section of rail line chosen for a spectacle staged by the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railway. It was named for railway official William G. Crush, who, for reasons lost to the ages, got it in his head that staging a train crash would somehow attract customers. Two locomotives would be brought to full speed and crashed head-on. No admission was charged, and a special fare of $5 would draw some 30,000 spectators from every part of Texas. Asked about potential danger to spectators, 
railway engineers answered with the confidence and exactitude you'd expect from a highly trained professional. Well, it should work. As the engines collided, the boilers exploded, sending enormous chunks of metal into the crowd. Two died. Many were injured. It would inspire a young Scott Joplin to create one of his earliest compositions, The Great Crush Collision. There was one miraculous story of survival from that day. William G. Crush somehow managed to keep his job. Early publicity stunts are the direct DNA ancestors of many of today's guerrilla marketing tactics. Some of them bizarre, some nasty, and some downright twisted. Consider this guerrilla marketing pioneer. This is Edison speaking. Thomas Alva Edison, who, during the late 1900s, stood to make a fortune delivering electrical power by way of his direct current method. His rivals at Westinghouse, including former Edison employee Nikola Tesla, championed another system, alternating current, or AC. With a fortune at stake, Edison seized every opportunity to slam his competition. Public demonstrations were staged. Edison would pay kids to round up stray neighborhood cats, which he would electrocute, using AC power demonstrating its dangers to horrified crowds. Though Edison opposed capital punishment, he encouraged an employee, Harold Brown, to invent the electric chair, again using alternating current. Condemned prisoners could then be Westinghoused, as Edison liked to put it. In 1903, New York was abuzz about Topsy, a Coney Island elephant that had killed three men in three years including one handler who had tried feeding her a lit cigarette. It was decided that Topsy would be put to death. Hanging was proposed, then promptly dismissed by the killjoys at the SPCA. Enter Thomas Edison, who gladly volunteered to have the animal electrocuted. By alternating current, of course. As some 1,500 people watched and Edison film cameras rolled, Topsy met her maker. Edison lost the battle of the currents. AC became the popular medium for delivering power. But he won the PR war, remembered as a grandfatherly genius, while history tends to paint Nikola Tesla as a crank and a mad scientist. And the Edison film of this primitive act of guerrilla marketing has found new life, more than a century later, on YouTube. 23 seconds of classic cinematic slander titled Electrocuting an Elephant. With modern advertising in diapers, publicity stunts became part of the cultural landscape. To promote a 1917 film, The Honor System, a prison drama, promoters coaxed one prison to release an inmate for a single day, promising on his honor to return. The prisoner was never seen again. In 1897, as the Royal Navy sailed by to honor Queen Victoria, a steamship crashed the party 
and zip past the fleet, a stunt by inventor Charles Algernon Parsons to promote the power of his new steam turbine. P.T. Barnum used an elephant to plow the fields of his New York property. Why? Because it was within view of thousands who passed through a nearby train station. The stunt created national buzz. In 1903, a Paris-based sports newspaper, Lauteau, announced their own publicity stunt. A nationwide race for cyclists. So was born the Tour de France. After the first race, the paper circulation nearly tripled. Then there was this guy. And Eric Weiss to his mother, Harry Houdini to the rest of us. To him, publicity stunts were but a plaything. In 1906, he challenged Washington officials, claiming he could escape the jail cell that held Charles Guiteau, the assassin of President McKinley. Not only did Houdini escape, he sprung eight other inmates and shuffled them to different cells. Then came radio, network radio, the first enormous mass medium built on a mountain of advertising money. Accidents giving away four Chevrolets every seven days. Listen for details tonight. And home to the who's who of mass marketers. Tonight from the home of Ken Murray's Blackout, the El Capitan Theater, Hollywood, Lieber Brothers Company presents the Pepsodent Show, starring Bob Hope and his special guest, Al Sponsoring a national radio show became a badge of success, a destination for a new generation of Edisons and Barnums and Houdinis, and for household name wannabes. Crime Photographer, starring Stotts Cotsworth as Casey, is brought to you each Thursday by the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation, makers of Fire King Oven Glass, Anchor Glass Containers, Anchor Caps and Closures. All products of Anchor Hawking, the most famous name in glass. Suddenly there were classes and tiers of advertisers. The big fish were in broadcast, on national poster campaigns, and running full pages in big daily papers. The big players could cut a check and reach millions in one swipe. Publicity stunts and street-level antics were for chumps. But a funny thing happened over the next half century. Right about here. Circa 1990. A time of cable networks, internet, digital. Media, audiences and advertisers scattered into thousands of fragments. Unlike those golden years, reaching the consumer's ear was no longer a guarantee of reaching the consumer's brain. Young audiences were straying from traditional media. So the big players took to the streets, where some would learn, the hard way, that guerrilla marketing comes with rules and with risks. My name is Terry O'Reilly, and this is The Age of Persuasion. For a half century, big money advertisers ran the table. But you just knew the little guy's day was coming. On the small fry, 
It was 1984 when J. Conrad Levinson unleashed his first book, Guerrilla Marketing. In Levinson's words, it's about achieving conventional goals, such as profits and joy, with unconventional methods, such as investing energy instead of money. It begat an explosion of unconventional marketing tactics, new media, stunts, performance art, face-to-face -face interaction. For the little guys of marketing, it became the great equalizer, maximum oomph without the six-figure investment. Hence the advent of dogvertising, even bravertising, and a novel approach to the problem of drinking and driving. In 2005, the state of New Mexico had America's eighth highest rate of drinking and driving accidents, relative to miles driven. Most offenders were men, so the state government decided to reach men in the washroom. 500 talking urinal cakes were ordered, with a whiz-activated message. When New Mexican men made their last pit stop before heading home, they'd hear this. Hey there, big guy. Having a few drinks? Then listen up. Think you've had one too many? Then it's time to call a cab or a sober friend for a ride home. It sure is safer and a hell of a lot cheaper than a DWI. Make the smart choice tonight. Don't drink and drive. Remember, your future is in your hand. Leave it to guerrilla marketing to boldly go where men boldly go. It was a message brilliantly timed and unavoidable. The man becomes a captive audience, and it reaches him in those crucial moments before he might get behind the wheel. Bup, 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 bup. After he washes his hands. Guerrilla marketing is about new media frontiers, and new frontiers invariably include places one just shouldn't go. Witness the casino that commissions a streaker to crash major television events, from the World Cup to the Olympics, wearing only the casino's web address painted on his chest. That's the same company that pays to emblazon its logo across the bare midriffs of pregnant women. Then there's Utah's Carolyn Smith, whose 15 minutes will last a lifetime. For a cool 10 grand, she had the casino's name tattooed across her forehead. Yeah, permanently. As Ms. Smith will attest, guerrilla marketing is nothing if not conspicuous. Part of its strength and maybe part of its curse. Each new surprise, each eye-catching stunt makes guerrilla marketing a lightning rod for public concern over ad clutter. But that won't deter today's marketers who are under unbelievable pressure to produce short-term results. Which explains why so many big players have come a-calling. Colas, automakers, athletic shoe brands, all began dabbling in guerrilla marketing. But why take to the streets when they can and do budget millions for mainstream ad media? One reason is ad clutter. There's a growing concern that throwing money at conventional ad media only increases the noise. Another reason is ROI, or return on investment, a trade term for what you and I might call bang for the buck. There's no quicker way to turn a marketer's head than to promise maximum buzz at minimal cost. 
It's all part of a fascinating shift in the craft of persuasion. Messages are giving way to experiences. New, surprising, innovative media are the message. Yet the new marketing frontier isn't without dangers. Early in 2006, Los Angeles Times boxes were specially rigged, so when opened, they'd play the Mission Impossible theme. A stunt launched with Paramount to promote their film. It created a bomb scare that landed the Times and Paramount in some serious agua caliente. Barely three weeks after the Cartoon Network stunt, Dr. Pepper created another flap in Beantown, planting a $10,000 gold coin as part of a treasure hunt contest. The hiding place? Boston's 350-year-old Granary Burying Yard, the venerated resting place of Paul Revere and Samuel Adams, among others. In 2001, IBM was fined $120,000 for spray-painting the words Peace, Love and Linux on a San Francisco street. A year later, Microsoft ran afoul of the city of New York by plastering the downtown with butterfly stickers. The company apologized and helped with the cleanup. Some people say any publicity is good publicity. I say, let those people work the switchboard at Turner the day after the Boston bomb scare, or the PR department at Dr. Pepper as a delicate landmark was overrun by treasure hunters. Cheesing off potential customers is bad business, period. And I'll bet you a $10,000 gold coin that those marketers would gladly trade all that free publicity for a do-over. Which brings us to this. A YouTube posting dubbed Bridezilla about a young lady imploding on her wedding day, the result of a disastrous pre-wedding hairstyle. A home movie that yielded six million viewings in just two weeks and truckloads of free media coverage. But it wasn't a home movie. It was guerrilla marketing from Toronto agency Capital C Communications. It was a viral message for a line of Unilever hair products. A small part of a bigger campaign, its goal was to reinsert the term wig out into the popular lexicon. I am so embarrassed. Mission accomplished. But at what cost? Like the Boston stunt, Bridezilla can be taken as a hoax. And the public's tolerance for hoaxes can be paper thin. Would Bridezilla have generated the same buzz if people had known, from the beginning, that it was ad-driven play-acting? As the old proverb says, Fool me, fool you, me. Uh, wait, fool, how does that go? Fool me once. Shame on, shame on you. If fool me, we can't get fooled again. Yeah, that's it. Commercials, as you know them, aren't dead. But they are evolving. It isn't enough just to convey vast amounts of information anymore. The art is turning vast amounts of information into a single compelling idea. Then, delivered in a way to stir a reaction. Ad giant Bill Burnback said, You have to say something about your product in such a way that people feel it in their gut. Because if they don't feel it, nothing will happen. Well, he's right. 
and in many cases that involves the element of surprise. In his wonderful book, Pitch Perfect, about pitching advertising accounts, author John Steele writes, In surprise lies the energy that will change a mind, convince, inspire, recruit, or persuade. Surprise is a catalyst for action, and guerrilla marketing is just such a catalyst. Especially today, with consumers numbed by the growing swell of daily ad clutter. As conventional ads offer fewer creative frontiers, marketers are under increasing pressure to make an impact. And groundbreaking ideas happen when people are under extreme pressure. It's why a lot of technical advances happen during times of war. So more and more marketers are turning to guerrilla marketing, reaching consumers through surprising events and experiences, media whose very novelty tweaks the imagination. A form perfected by the Edisons and Barnums and Houdinis and revived by today's marketing giants. It is a shock and awe strategy. No campaigns, no evolutions, no warm-ups. Perhaps the only ad medium, short of direct mail, to get just one at bat. One chance to make contact. The downside is that it has no chance to infuse warmth and humanity or take time to build a brand relationship. And it's volatile. Ask the folks at Turner or Dr. Pepper, who know too well that the penalty for failure is stiff for those who dare to color outside the lines in the age of persuasion. The Age of Persuasion is created and written by Terry O'Reilly and Mike Tennant. God is our witness. We thought turkeys could fly. Engineer Keith Oman. It should work. Title music by those lovable gorillas. Gorillas? No, 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 no. They're more like palookas. Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. The Age of Persuasion is produced for CBC Radio by Pirate Radio and Television Toronto.